Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. Pleasure to be joined on this Tuesday afternoon by my colleague at ESPN and the author of a new book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins. Kendrick Perkins, nobody calls him Kendrick where I come from. You call him Kendrick, he looks at you strange and you don't want to look at you strange. Mr. Perkins, welcome to the Hoop Collective. Wendy, appreciate you having me on, my brother. Thank you. He's uh, joining us from Houston where he lives. Um, Perk, I, I don't really want to talk that much about the league right now. You and I do that all day. I want to talk about your career. So, and it was a fascinating one. Um, mm-hmm. But when you were a, a, a teenager in Houston, you were an absolute stud, right? Like you were, how many points a game did you average a senior year of high school? So, so I averaged 29, 16 rebounds and nine blocks. And, right. And I keep telling people, Wendy, you, you don't just go to the university of cash without putting up numbers. <laughs> right. So this is the era you could go to the NBA right away. And you did, but before you played in the NBA, you did the AAU circuit, right? And mm-hmm. um, who are some of the teams that you played on out of, out of, you know, from where your home was in Houston? So, so born and raised in Beaumont, Texas. I played with the Houston Hoops. Uh, majority of my AAU uh, time, I played with NDEB and uh, Lanny Smith, uh, just a few names to throw out there. We played about four or five years together. Uh, I played with the Oakland Soldiers, uh, with LeBron right. James and, and Leon Poe. Um, and I played against Braun a lot. Uh, it was always the Houston Hoops and the Ohio Shooting Stars that met up in the championships of the AAU tournament, whether it was in Orlando at Disney Worldwide of Sports or whether it was in Vegas or the Boo Williams or the Peace Jam, we always end up meeting up in the championship. And I always came out victorious. Yeah, I mean, LeBron's team was good, but, you know, with all due respect to my Ohio roots, you know, we didn't produce basketball players like they produced in, in Texas <laughs> or in California. You know, the depth wasn't there, no. just to be fair. Well, I mean, when do we, at the time, no, we wasn't really considered, quote, unquote, a basketball state. We've always been looked at as a football state. Now, the narrative has started to switch, and we didn't move the goalposts a little bit because we do. I feel like we are taking – we have taken a huge leap in the basketball space, but – you know, we we were still trying to, you know, get our feet wet a little bit in that basketball area, too, and make our mark, you know, for us being, you know, Texas boys. So I want to talk to you about the soldiers. I know you've talked about this your whole life. I remember coming to talk. See, back when, Perk, when you were a player, <laughs> I call it soul patch, Perk. When you had the soul patch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you had, <laughs> you, you sent out a vibe, like, stay away from me, media. Mm-hmm. And I always... Talk to people because I started covering the NBA 2003. That was the year you came in. And people would be like, oh, my God. Kendrick Perkins is one of the greatest guys in the NBA. I love this guy. You know, your reputation as a teammate was untouchable. But I watched you play and you were throwing dudes around. And then I would come in the locker room and like you were not to be messed with. And, you know, soul patch. I remember I come and ask you about the Oakland Soldiers. and You didn't want to talk about it. It was like 2007. But anyway, Oakland Soldiers, there's a great story I remember Leon Poe told me. Leon Poe went to Cal, played in the NBA, played with mm-hmm. you with the Celtics, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, he was regarded as the best 16-year-old in the country, I think, at the 15 or 16-year-old. 
Yeah, uh, that might be cap, but go ahead, Wendy. Okay, all right. Well, what it, it turned out to be, no offense to Leon, he was a great guy. Yeah. So Leon's like ranked like the number one 15 or 16-year-old, whatever it is, whatever recruiting service it is. So I don't know if you played this weekend, but LeBron comes out when he's like 16 to play for a weekend with the Oakland Soldiers. I don't know where you were. Um, Calvin Andrews was the coach of the team. Is that right? Mm-hmm. He was now an agent. Was Carmelo's agent for a long time. So anyway, uh, he plays against LeBron this weekend or with LeBron and like, you know, LeBron looks good. Right. And uh, he gets in the car and he uh, is driving home with, I think he was, I think maybe Calvin was taking him home or maybe somebody else. And he goes, Hey, um, how old was that kid? And he goes, uh, he's 16, Leon. Well, Leon was 16. And Leon's like, Oh, I don't think I'm going to be the number one. prospect." No. <laughs> it, it didn't take long. It didn't take long. And, and you know, what's crazy about, the crazy thing about Braun was this, Wendy. He went from like always having a little height, right? But he was kind of wiry, right? Like his limbs, he wasn't. And then all of a sudden, it was a transition period. I don't know that happened between the ages of 14 and 15, where he probably went from wearing a buck 85 to like 230. And he was like, who is this man child? Like, seriously. Yeah, and uh, well, he didn't lift weights till he was 16, Perk. Yeah. I don't know when you started lifting weights. but um, <laughs> So you were an absolute stud. What were your choices when you were a senior in high school? What were you seriously looking at? So, so I had <clears throat> so many college letters coming to my house, uh, like every day. And before my senior year, my, co- my high school coach and I, we sat down. We was like, look, we got to get this out the way. Like, we got to just focus on basketball now. My whole intentions was going to the NBA, all right? I just didn't tell nobody that, but I had it in my mind. Once the scouts started driving down the country, Beaumont, Texas, and I'm seeing Sam Presti and B.J. Armstrong get my game sitting at the desk right by the doorway, I was like, oh, okay, it's real. But I had narrowed it down to North Carolina, which it was Coach Brad Doherty there at the time, uh, UT. Matt Doherty. Matt, Matt Doherty. Doherty, Matt Doherty, excuse me, Matt Doherty, Matt Doherty, uh, UT, Miami, and Memphis. And I went to Miami, and I remember I had a ball, right? And I was like, okay, cool, I might commit here. And <laughs> I went to UT, and UT, Rick Barnes was like, look, I'm telling you, I could make you one and done. We got the best weight program. I'm telling you, this is what you need. You're right at home. I'm like, okay, cool. But then all of a sudden, Cal son, that private jet to Beaumont to pick me up. To go Is that to right? Yeah. My first time ever on a private jet. And he sent the private jet there and I got there. And it was just it was just me. It was just me on the private. And it was an experience that I never had. And when I touched down in Memphis, I went there for two days. Best, best experience ever. Here's the thing that Cal told me that made me commit and sign with Memphis. He said, Perk, I don't want you here for two years. I only want you here for one. And right now they got you projected late first round, early second round. I'm going to make you a lottery pick. That was enough in itself. Because that told me that he had my best interest. Now, whatever he was going to get out of me that one year, he was going to maximize it. But he didn't want me there for a long period of time. So I was sold. And I instantly signed and I committed to Memphis uh, it was a package deal. I actually took my, my, my teammate of mine who's on my high school team, Keena Young, 
he went off to play at BYU. But I actually it was a package deal. We both signed together. And my whole thing was, was that I wanted to sign and commit just so that schools could stop, stop sending me letters. Yeah, and I yeah. Could stop, yeah. And did he send you back on the private jet or just there on the private jet? No, no, both. both. I, I went there on the private and came back on the private. That's pretty sweet. You know, Matt Doherty, I've told the story in the pod before years ago. Sagana Jop, you know Gana Jop, you played yep. against him. So he was playing a year, he came out a year before you, he was playing at Oak Hill. And he had committed to, to North Carolina. I don't know if he had signed, but it was it's interesting he made the same promise. So Ghana told me this story. Um, Ghana, Matt Doherty comes out to Oak Hill, Oak Hill, which is in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, in the mountains. And he says the same thing to him. He goes, he was trying to, he knew Ghana was likely to go to the NBA. And so he's like, hey, listen, come to North Carolina, play for one year. And instead of being the 27th pick, like you're projected, you could be top lottery. Mm-hmm. He pulls out this piece of paper, Perk, and he shows Ghana what the, what the guarantee was for the 27th pick, which was like three years and like 5 million total. And then he shows him what the projection was for like the sixth pick. Right. Which, or, you know, which was like three years and like 15, some, a lot more. And Ghana, who's from Senegal, okay, um, he sees that he was guaranteed, he didn't understand that he was going to be guaranteed $5 million being the 27th pick. And he said he saw that piece of paper was like, you mean I'm going to be guaranteed $5 million even if I'm taking late in the first round? Decommit, I'm going to the NBA. <laughs> totally backfired. And he ended up getting picked eighth and made his money. Um, but so you were a, a stud. So I remember you get drafted. I remember going to the summer league that they had in Boston. So you are a king at that point. You are a Celtic. What spot did you get picked at? So I got I got drafted at the 27th spot. By the okay, 27th. Yep. Okay. And so you end up in Boston. They traded – you don't remember. They traded you to Boston? Yeah, they traded me to Boston. So what happened was they end up – Boston wanted Marcus Banks so mm-hmm. bad. Boston had the 16th and 20th pick. But the Seattle Supersonics had the 13th, the 14th pick. They were going to take Marcus Banks. So what, he, what Danny did was he did a swap with Memphis, who had the 13th and 27th pick. And he took Danny took his guys, and they took Danny guys, and they just made the trade so that he could get Marcus Banks and me, of course. Those are two different sized individuals, you and Marcus Banks. Yeah, You're a sure. foot taller than Marcus Banks. <laughs> So I remember this summer league perk and they called you baby shack. You probably listened to that your whole life. There's 10 people called baby shack, but like there was a lot of excitement around you because that many people were that size and could move that well. Um, And, you know, when you came in from being like this dominating player, did you think you were going to be a dominating NBA player? Like you'd average 20 and 10 in the NBA too. You know what? I didn't. I didn't. And it took it took at first I had aspirations. I said, you know what? I'm about to work hard. I'm going to make a couple of all star games. And then all of a sudden, after summer league, I met Jim O'Brien, which mm-hmm. was the realist. Right. Like he was just so real and he was real about everything about my game uh, for us telling me who I was as an individual and as a young guy, you don't want to hear that. Right. And so anyway, Jim ended up getting fired. And then all of a sudden doc rivers came in and it was, 
Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers actually echoed the same thing that Jim O'Brien said. He said, right. you could try to go and make all-star teams and all that, but that's not who you are. Now, you could be the best version of Perk. That's a role player, setting screens, rebounding, blocking shots, finishing at the basket. You'll have a long career and make a lot of money. But if you don't, I don't know what's going to happen with you. So once I heard that from two people, like I, I had to accept that two coaches that were that were stamped, that been around the league, that played in the league, history in the league, and told me that. Hey, I had to listen, Wendy. But that's a that's something I see guys who have to make the, especially a guy who was that young. Now, if you'd been through the college and you'd kind of seen in college what your role might be, I could kind of get it more. But you were like untouchable. Like you were like one, like all for years, like the best high school players, best high school players. You know, your highlights were, you know, being seen around on the early parts of the internet. It still had to be kind of hard to accept that, to go from a guy who was the centerpiece of everything to be like, hey, go be the dirty, the you know, do the dirty work. It was, Wendy, but let me tell you the thing. And this is why I always say this. It matters what organization you go to, because I had a great group of vets. Along with the coaches that I had, I had a great group of vets. And that matters because I had Walter McCarty, Tony Delk, Tony Batiste, uh, you know, Eric Williams. Like, those were guys that took me under their wing, but actually, like, Mark Blunt, that, that actually, like, kept it real with me. And then, you know, for me, Wendy, it, like... I never, to be honest, I never, it's crazy because once I got to the league, it was like, okay, how do I just stay here? How do I find my niche? Yeah, like, yeah. And the best thing that happened for me was this. I didn't play my entire first year. That was the best thing that happened for me because I, I was able to learn. I was able to work on my game. And I always tell people this. This is why the rule is so dumb that guys cannot come out of high school. Nothing gets you ready for the NBA like being in the NBA. I don't care if you're not playing. Nothing gets you ready for the NBA like being in the NBA locker room, period. You learn so much. You learn the game. Now it's on you to soak in the knowledge. But I didn't seen so many guys go three, four years of college and only have two-year careers because they just couldn't get it. Yeah. So – what was it like to be an 18, 19 year old on the, with all those vets and Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker guys who were known for having some fun off the court? Well, you know what? It was different for me, Wendy. It was different because I was more of a guy that was a country guy from Beaumont. So everything was yeah. new to me, period. Raised by my grandparents. Uh, mom was shot and killed when I was five years old. Uh, driving across, I was so country, I didn't even know about shipping cars at the time. I literally drove across country. I drove to Boston from Beaumont. That's how I got to Boston and got my truck there. Um, and when you I were got- driving a pickup truck across Boston. There's not that many pickup trucks in Boston. Yeah, yeah around uh, across the country. And this <laughs> is and this is using a map because we didn't have, you know, navigation <laughs> right. at the time. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. 
And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. So when I got there, I mean, it, it was just more so I was, like I said, my vets, it they live by the motto, it wasn't what you do, it's how you do it. So did they party? Absolutely. Did they have fun? Absolutely. But they also got their work in. That's and true. I was able to watch the balance and see the mixture of both. Because remember, all those guys played 10 plus years in the league. So, you know, they knew how to manage. They knew what to do. They knew when to get their rest. They knew what cities they was going to go out in. They knew everything. And all I did was watch and be a great rookie. And I, w- I wasn't disobedient. You know, if they asked me to run to the liquor store at 1 o'clock in the morning, knowing that I wasn't going to find a liquor store, damn it, I'd done it. If they asked me to have <laughs> this on the road, I had it. If they asked me to iron their clothes, I had it. And it worked out for me because they just kept giving me so much game along with tips that I was just soaking it all in. Yeah, so what were the rookie duties? Was that donuts, a shoot-arounds? What, what were your normal rookie duties? Back so so with, with Mark Blunt and Tony Batie, it was coffee. With Eric Williams, it was other things that I had to have for him. It was a must. Uh, for, for Eric Williams also, I had to make sure his clothes were ironed. And I couldn't, I couldn't send him down to get pressed. I had to do it myself. <laughs> he uh, trusted you. I'd rather send it down. I don't trust the kids. Yeah, yeah, but it was part of the rookie duties. And I also okay. had to bring the balls everywhere, the basketballs. I had to make sure the balls were there. I had to make sure I was the last person to eat on the plane. Just little, little things like that. And then, you know, whatever, if they would call me, I, I had to be available 24 hours. Like it was perfect. Perkins Concierge Service, 24 hours. <laughs> I might get paid, I might not, but I had to be a big <laughs> All right, so you, you, your role grew. You eventually grew into a starter. But I want to talk about that summer because you, you should read the book. The book's got everything, especially stuff from your childhood, which you referenced the, the, the tragedy you went through. I don't want to talk about it in this pod, Perk, because I I, it's, it's, it's hard but you should read the book because it tells you a lot about how Perk is who he is. Your grandparents, I was, you know, your grandparents get a, you are, who you are because of your grandparents. Absolutely. I'm not mistaken. Um, so you're, you're in the league, like four or five years, you established yourself. Um, think you, you got a, a contract, right? Like you got a yep. second contract. And then all of a sudden in like five days, you find out Kevin Garnett, 
and Ray Allen are coming to your team. Mm -hmm. Um, tell me about that summer and then that training camp. So one, I did not care about the trade. I was too young to even realize that it was about a championship and what I was getting myself into. Al Jefferson and I were best friends. I thought that the Celtics had their power forward and center sold up, and I thought they were going to – me and Al was going to play together for years and years and years. I couldn't understand it. When Doc Rivers told me Al was traded, I cried like a baby. I didn't care about KG. I didn't give a, I didn't give a damn about none of that. What was going on? To like a week later, I just kept seeing it pop up on TV, and people were like, "Man, do you understand what's about to happen?" And I'm like, "Nah." It's like, bro, you y'all championship contender. Like it's the Celtics. Whoop do whoop do. I'm like, man, listen. All right, cool. And me and KG already had a horrible history. Okay, what was that? I don't remember that. Okay, so so when he was in Minnesota, when I first started playing in Boston, me and him used to go at it. Like, I'm talking about, like, nose to nose. Like, hey, you know, hey, like, I want to see you in the back locker room type energy, right? And so KG actually told Paul, like, bro, before I come into this locker room, like, hey, man, like, what's up with your boy, Perk, man? Like, I ain't trying to get the, you know, how he talk. I ain't trying to get it. <laughs> You're doing a little impression right now. Yeah, I ain't trying to get in there, man, and I ain't trying. What's up with dude? Like, By the so, way, with all due respect to KG, I'm backing you in that fight in the back. Yeah, yeah for sure. He okay, knows. just to be, just to be <laughs> clear. <laughs> and so, so P like, man, you going to love Big Perk, man, because, you know, P already put me to the test a few times, like, one time he was just like, it was the rookies, and he was like, I got $1,500. Anybody, who, who want it? It was like 12 inches of snow outside. He was like, one of these rookies step up. It was me, Marcus Banks, and Brandon Hunter. He was like, which one go step up? I need 100 push-ups in the snow in your tights for the 1500 I ran out there, knocked out the <laughs> 100 push-ups, grabbed my – he was like, that's what I'm talking about. He want to be here. So P already had loved me. Paul loved me from the yeah. jump. So we went to London, to Rome, and the whole ride there, KG didn't say a word to me, and I didn't say a word to him. The start of the (laughs) training camp, he didn't say a word to me. I didn't say a word to him. Now, we're playing together alongside each other on the floor. Right. That's the four or five. (laughs) Yeah. It took took our first preseason game. For KG to come up to me and say, huh, I'm rocking with you. And our first preseason game was against uh, Bayani and Chris Bosh. And KG went out there and he had a double-double. I had 12, 8, and 4 blocks. And, and we just anchored the defense. And since then, he just like, I was his little brother from from, from now on out. Like, he was like, nah, perk ride. And I'm, I'm with him like, you know what I'm saying, man? I ain't know what to think about you. I ain't know if I had to put these hands on you or what. I'm like, I'm cool, big fella. I'm cool, man. And ever since then, he just took me under his wing. So, like, that's the thing. Like, that training camp is kind of legendary, the way you guys have bonded and Ubuntu and all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like, look, the personalities in that team were wild. So you have Paul Pierce. Everybody knows how he is. Yeah. You had you, who, you know, the world has learned how, Perk is since you came on TV. <laughs> right. AG infamous for running his mouth. Ray Allen, who's a maniac, right? Yes. Just a maniac. Yes. Just so focused on the process. And hello, 
Rondo, one of the most unique personalities we've seen in the last 20 years. Right. Rondo, what a group. And you yeah. guys came together like that. You guys right. were like a dominating force like that. Nobody could score on you. You know why? Because I think we could all agree that on that team, KG was the best player, right? I, I, no disrespect to Paul or Ray, uh, both of them Hall of Famers. But KG, I remember, he set the tone the, before we got on the plane to go to Rome. And he said, Doc, run this offense through Paul and Ray. If you need me, I'm here. I'm the third option. I'm going to worry about anchoring this defense. And right there, for him to set the tone in front, front of everybody, that set the tone for the season. True story. So everybody had to buy in from, at that point. Once KG said that verbally, it wasn't a whisper. Not No, he said it out loud, and he stood by it. So once he did that, everybody else had to fall in line. But I'm going to tell you, Wendy, the best thing happened for us was us going three weeks, uh, you know, to Rome and, and, and London because what ended up happening was we were forced to bond with each other. We didn't have TVs in our room, so we didn't want to stand there all day. So it forced you to interact outside of the lines. And we and Doc canceled so many practices because we <laughs> was going hard anyway. So yeah. we didn't have nothing to do besides kick it with each other. Yeah. Um, I just remember, well, people forget KG. Now he's remembered as being like this defensive beast. That dude led the league in scoring when he was in Minnesota. Yeah. When he won the MVP. He led, I think he led the league in scoring and rebounding at the same time. And if he didn't lead in both, he was one in one and two in the other. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it was, and he hurt his knee that one night in Salt Lake City. He was never really the same player after that. And then he sort of had to focus on defense. But you're right, Perk. When he came there, if he just said, I'm getting 20 shots a game, it wouldn't have been unreasonable. Right. He was that type of player then. Absolutely. Because you see, you've had this remarkable career where you won the title with those guys as a starter. Yeah. Um, then you, and real quick, let me ask you this. When you guys were defending the title, you blew out your ACL in game six, right? Yep, in game six. That had to be like just, you guys had forced game seven. What was that moment like when they told you, like, you, you tore your ACL? It, it, was, it was the worst. But at that time, I was trying everything in my power. Like, that's when you all of a sudden become a doctor. Like, you start <laughs> researching and you start saying, well, I wonder if you could play without an ACL, right? Like, and then I started, I looked up like DeWan Blair, like he didn't have an ACL, but he was still, right. and, and it was like, oh, man, I feel good. The swelling went down like two days. Like, let me put a brace. It was like, perk, relax, you're out. And it's like, you think about this because Doc always reminded us, especially when we got to the finals before every game, Take advantage of this because you never know if you will ever get back to this moment. And so me being out watching from the side, that's all I could think about, right? So how could I take advantage because I'm not on the – let me be a great teammate. Try that. I couldn't even watch it no more, Wendy. I went to the locker room. Doc mm -hmm. called me back out like, no, we need you on the bench. I'm like, Doc, we up 14 going into the fourth. I just want to just not watch it. I'd rather it just end. And it was just, I remember watching, I just remember at one moment though, Wendy, no lie. 
I was, I, I kind of got starstruck because I'm witnessing Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, Paul Gasol, Rasheed Wallace, all on the floor at one time, exhausted, like, like leaning on each other, deep breaths, just like who wanted the most, like these guys were exhausted. I'm sitting up here watching from the sideline, like, like I grew up idolizing all these guys, like, but I'm on this bench and it never hit me till then. I'm in the Staples Center watching these guys go to work. It was crazy. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. What's the thing? You had such an amazing career. You played 14 years. You got a ring. But you got to play on some incredible teams. So after you left Boston, you got traded. You got a real good contract when you got traded. That was stunning that they traded you. And, <laughs> and it was like the next day, it was like, I mean, for, you know, Kendrick Perkins was a Celtic. He was a Celtic. You know, nobody ever thought. And it was like, all of a sudden, Kendrick Perkins was a Thunder, which sounded strange. And then you signed. And like, like what, days after you got traded, right? Like in the season. Yep. yep. Before like, I even played the game. Right. It was like, man, Perk is, Kendrick Perkins is a Thunder. Like at that time, the Thunder was still on the come up. You really didn't know much about him. Then you played with the Harden, Westbrook, Durant teams. You made it to the finals with them. Like, that's amazing just playing on those teams. And then later on, you played with LeBron and the Cavs. I mean, you got to experience, and like you were a core member of that Thunder team that went to the finals. Yeah. Um, it, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a crazy but great experience. Like, all of us, I went from being one of the young guys in the locker room with the Celtics to actually being the voice in the locker room with the Oklahoma City Thunder, like gelling everything together. Now, KD and Serge may say, oh, Perk line, but they know they line. Like, I took <laughs> all them guys under my wing. I orchestrated team dinners. I had card games in my hotel room. I forced guys to, to interact because that's what I came from. I came from that. And so, like, that's why they traded for you, actually. Right, right, I mean, right. they wanted a center, but they also wanted a guy who knew how to win. <laughs> but look, but Wendy, you know what I call, I like, I call myself a groupie at some, like, some point, because I played with so many Hall of Famers. Like, I played with so many Hall of Famers, like, from KG, Ray, Paul, Braun, Russ, uh, KD, James, Shaq, uh, Gary Payton. Like, that's nine Hall of Famers right there in this cell. Like, and, like, 
I, I it, it was just crazy now that I think back on it. Even Kyrie, I mean, he'll be a Hall of Famer too. That's 10. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the dynamics that you like, think of the dynamics that ultimately happened between Ray Allen, Rondo, Pierce, and Garnett. That was that's an amazing dynamic. Russ, KD, and James. It's still playing out to this day. Still, right? still playing out. Kyrie and LeBron still playing out to this day. Like you yeah. witnessed, like you were there. And part of the reason why you were there was to help with that. You know, yeah. like I remember when, when <laughs> one of the memories I have of you is late in your career, that game in, in Boston, the Cavs are playing the Celtics. You are a beloved Celtic. When they introduced your name, your name is on that one of those banners up there. You are a beloved Celtic. They love you in Boston to this day. Kelly Olenek has that moment where he pulls purposely or not pulls Kevin Love's so, arm out of the socket. Yeah. Really kneecaps that Cavs team. Then Kyrie got hurt later, but it was, a, it was three nothing. It was, it was game four. The Cavs were up three nothing. The Celtics were still on the come up. And you came in the game after that and you leveled Jay Crowder because you had to send a message that you weren't guys weren't going to be handled like that. Um, you had, you had to do it to a, to a guy in green and white in Boston. I mean, not the defining moment of your career, but like that was your job then. That was my job. That was my job. And my job was also to protect Braun. And Jay Crowder was being a pest that series. Now, he wasn't stopping him, but it was the little roughing up and things to that nature. And To this day, Perk, they say F.J. Crowder in the playoffs when they face him. That's crazy. You know what? You know the best part about that? I got away with a hard, illegal shoulder screen on Jay Crowder. I got fined and didn't have to pay it because <laughs> Griffin, Griffin Braun paid it for me. So, I mean, I, I just right? got a whole free way out. And, and the Celtic fans still love me to this day. So it was That's cool. right. And That's the right. Cavs fans. What What is your uh, – do you have a favorite memory with Durant and Westbrook? They're like a, a favorite team or like something that happened there that you take away from that? You know what? It was it was actually it was actually us going down 0-2 in the Western Conference Finals. That's what I saw what those young guys were made of. We were playing the San Antonio Spurs and we went down 0-2 and we won four straight after that. And in those four games, it was either James took it over, KD took it over or Russ took it over. And that's when I knew that those guys were going to be special. I knew that when I first got to the OKC, because when I first got there, remember, before they got their state-of-the-art uh, practice facility, we have to remember, they had a, they was practicing in the old skating ring. That's so, a roller rink. That's yeah, right. Yeah, and so, and so when I got there, I'm used to not practicing one, because right. we didn't practice with the Celtics, but – I remember Scott Brooks calling me in. He was like, look, Perk, I'm telling you, it's a lot different over here. You know, if you need days off, just tell me. I'm like, Scotty, look, man, I'm 26 years old. I'm fine, okay? He like, I'm telling you, man, these guys love to play basketball. So I, I was already there. They were coming off a road, off a back-to-back. They had just lost to the Magic. And it's like, oh, yeah, practice at 10 the next morning. I was like, practice? What you mean? And they came in. <laughs> And they went dead ended. Like they didn't come off a of back to back and just got in there at two o'clock in the morning. And I just remember watching KD put in so much, so many hours of work on his game before practice and after practice. 
And two days later, KG called me like, bro, what you doing, man? I miss you. Hey, how them young fellas is over there? Is they really like that? I'm like, bro, listen, these guys punch in the clock, dog. Like, real talk. He like, nah, man, you just woofing, man. You on, you just, you you over there, you you good now. You got your money, you acting different. I'm like, nah, listen, bro, this has nothing to do with me, dog. They really punch in the clock. And I was like, he was like, all right. I was like, bro, you go see, you go see. So, I mean, just, it was so many moments, man, just with them, just, I was more amazed on how they were gym rats. Like, I was amazed, like, we were laying in cities at six o'clock and KD would have a middle school and high school gym already set aside for him to go get a workout in. Like, those guys, like, lived in the gym. It was ridiculous. KD's skills, one of the most skilled players I've ever seen, and it comes from that work. You see it. Um, you know, when you were around Kyrie and LeBron, it was – you joined at midseason. It was later. Um, they had a – that partnership, LeBron tried, but it never quite took. Um, and it was too bad because they won in 16, and they, they could have won in 17, and they would have had a fighting chance – if they stuck around, if Durant had decided to leave, if they'd stuck together for many years, but Kyrie was just never, he and LeBron never saw the, you know, Kyrie never envisioned playing with LeBron. LeBron was like, Hey, I'm going to come play with Kyrie. Kyrie was like, wait a minute. I signed to be the franchise leader. And he never, there was never a bond there. Like there was some of the other places you were. It, it was. And being a guy in the locker room, Wendy, and this is an unbiased, like, realistic thing LeBron did everything in his power to try to embrace Kyrie as a little brother and show him the way Kyrie was just like rebellion like he was like no I'm not doing it like no I'm not coming to team dinners I just didn't show up he was like always doing his own thing and it hurt Braun when Kyrie left it hurt Braun to to know some of the things that Kyrie said before he left to go off to Boston before he demanded that trade. Like, because Braun did everything in his power. And for him to say, oh, I'm tired of being in Braun's shadows, it was like, Kyrie, like, at the moment, I don't think you really realize, like, who you really playing with, the attention that you really got, like, where you was before Braun actually got here. You know what I mean? Like, it was really, he was in an irrelevant situation. And, I mean, you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, if they was able to stick together, which I know Braun wanted to make it work. I mean, like you said, Wendy, who knows? They could have definitely won two or three more. Yeah. All right. Before we let you go, I want to ask you about some stories that you remember. One of them is a story that Steven Adams told me. You know, they had drafted him in Oklahoma City really to kind of be your replacement, fair yeah. or not. And uh, he's, he's a great player, man. And, you know, he's from New Zealand. He's got 16 or 17 brothers. His brothers used to beat his ass. And his dad used to come out. He was the youngest of the 17 kids. And his dad used to come out and like knock the brothers away. And then his dad passed away when he was a young boy. And whenever he called for help, the brothers would beat him more. So he's just really tough guy. He comes in to Oklahoma City first year. He's your backup. And he says, he'll never forget this. First day of practice, he's guarding you in the post. And you elbow him in the, in the solar, in the chest, in the solar plexus. And he's <laughs> And you turn and you go, there's only one. So I'm the only silverback. There's yeah. only silverback. Yeah. 
I love that story. He loves that story. Um, you kind of nurtured him, but like that, 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 you know, that's amazing I, how you developed that. I, I did. And, and I, I felt, I felt it though. Like when they drafted him and I, and I saw him doing his testing and stuff. I'm like, hold on. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He's like, it was everything about it. And I remember going against him in training camp and I was like, I can't move this dude. So the one time I did kind of get him, I was like, yeah, I'm the MF and silver back in here. You better know, like, <laughs> I was just fired up for that moment. But it's really like an old kind of like veteran guy knowing that this young guy about to take your minutes and, and just and like in due time. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember your maybe their second or third year when Paul Pierce spit at LeBron on the bench and they almost got in a fight in a preseason game? That was our rookie year, I believe it was. Was it right? your rookie year? We was in we first was in or second Colum- year. Yeah, we was in Columbus, Columbus, Ohio. That's right. And I remember that. And you know what? They had like they never liked each other ever since. It was about Hell the, no. It was a brawl in the back, about to be a brawl in the back. I remember me and Drew Gooden, you know, kind of going back and forth. And you know that was the closest to my knowledge, the closest legitimate fight LeBron ever had. Now there may be something I don't know about. Paul yeah, spit at, go ahead. Yeah, but but when did you think about it? Like I had to ask P, like, what was you thinking to spit over there? Somebody like that's the ultimate disrespect. And you could tell because every time they matched up, it was personal. It was personal. I was surprised when I saw them a few weeks ago kind of dab each other up at the game. At, uh when Brian played in Boston and Paul was there in his pajamas. <laughs> well, you remember obviously one of the great games people don't remember is game seven. You, you guys won the title. LeBron had 40 Sunday afternoon at the garden. Mm-hmm. LeBron 44, Pierce 41. Classic, classic game. Classic. Back when scoring 40 was something. Yes. Now there's six guys who score 40 a week. But um, all right, one more. Summer league. Lenny Cook. You remember playing with Lenny Cook? Is it do you remember that at all? I remember him being on the team. And they, he was like the next big thing. And then he fizzled out and everybody was excited. He was going to, and then they never played him. <laughs> I do remember that. I just remember Lenny Cook from ABCD camp and Braun tearing his ass up. But then past that, I do remember like he was supposed to be that next big thing and they never gave him a shot out of the bitch. I remember that for sure. Were you at that ABCD camp? Yeah, I was there. I was there. I was one of the top players that was there. You sure were. <laughs> uh, what do you remember about that week? Well, one, I believe that was Braun and I sophomore year. Sophomore think, to junior. Yeah. Yeah. Sophomore to junior. And I remember it was just all Lenny Cook. He had the cameras following him around, all this. And every game he would be going between his legs 100 times, pull up jumpers. Everybody was just watching him. And all of a sudden, everybody crowded around that court. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Lenny Cook came down the first position. He went between his legs a hundred times and hit a pulled up jump and he talked noise to Braun. And after that, it was strictly the LeBron James show. Like, and, and when I say that, Wendy, I mean that. I mean, he went to work. And that right there, that that probably ended Lenny Cook, to be honest with you. And it made LeBron, in all honesty, that made LeBron yeah. that, that day. Yeah. Um, and 
when you, the night you guys won the title, can you just put into words, you know, you spent, I mean, it's got to be one of the moments of your life, but like just that moment, you know, KG screaming, anything is possible. You're at the garden, you're becoming a historic, you know, his, history seven. Remember they had those signs up green 17. Yeah. Like they, they put it on you guys. You better yeah. win green 17 title. I mean, that experience had to be amazing. It, it was Wendy. it was, it was unreal at the moment. And it actually didn't hit me until the parade. Hmm. Like in that moment, you like, yeah, the trophy, the cigars, the the champagne. But when you give it a moment to digest and you get to the parade, that's when it's like, man, it's real. But it wasn't what happened at the arena. It's what happened after the, the arena. It's that we went together and we went to KG house and his wife cooked. His wife at the time, Brandy, had four big pots of spaghetti and she had brownies because <laughs> that's what KG loved to eat. And it was just us up into, I don't know, the next day. I mean, partying like no other. The wives were in one room, we was in our room. And guess what, Wendy? We wasn't doing a damn thing. But it was just the <laughs> point of vibing together and knowing that we just won the NBA championship. And that was the goal that we had at the beginning of the season was everything. I went to sleep with a plate of food in my lap and I woke up. With it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's so much of it. The perk is the master storyteller. His, he's had a magical career. And by the way, still, I mean, in the job that you're in now, not afraid to tell it like it is. I remember, Perk, vividly, you were still being discovered by ESPN. And you did this little show before game, whatever it was, game five in 2019. And you were afraid for your friend, Kendrick or uh, Kevin Durant. And you said, I wouldn't be playing out here tonight. And you're a guy who tried to play through an ACL tear. And you were like, I wouldn't. I'll never forget that. And, you know, an hour later, he tore his Achilles. Yeah. And um, so anyway, you're a great storyteller. Tell great stories in this book. This is just a, f- a fraction of it. Um, and so if you love Perk, which I don't know how you couldn't like, you may disagree with some of the stuff he says. <laughs> and that's kind of like your reputation in the NBA. You may not have liked that elbow he threw you or that look he gave you or whatever, but it's hard not to like Perk. Right. <laughs> Check out the education of Kendrick Perk. When's it out, Perk? It's out soon, right? Yeah, it's coming out uh, on the 24th. All right. Well, so, good luck. Good luck with that. Check it out. Pre-order it. Did you do an audio book? No. When do you know how long that would have took? <laughs> I know. Perk, I did one. I did it. I've written four books. I did it for one. It took me three days. And they gave me a significant check for it. I did it for, you know, there was a nice piece of money on the other side of it. I don't think I can do it again. It exhausted hmm. me. But Wendy, but. just think, just think about my voice trying to do an audio book. <laughs> if yours took three days, mine might take three months. <laughs> All right. Well, All there's right. probably an audio version. You can, that's one I'm going to listen to. All right. Thank you, Perk. Thank All you, right, our Wendy, producer. Thanks Jackson for having me on. Proud of you, my brother. Thank you. Be well. Thanks for the stories. We'll talk to you soon.